if you want to find your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. We're going to be taking a, just a short break from the book of Romans because there's something important that we uh, need to be discussing. Just like we got done singing, Lord, I need you every hour. Isn't that the case? How often do you find yourself being asked to do or having an opportunity or something that's being requested that's just beyond your strength or skill that you've got? And you're just like, I'm not sure if I can do this. Or you find yourself in a situation where you're just absolutely depleted and yet there's more work to be done. I feel like I kind of live in that world. You know, it's just like what I'm being asked to do and the resources that I bring to the table, which aren't much, is far beyond what I'm being asked to do or the situation would require. And I think if you think about your own life, you might go, you know what, I live in that zone too. I mean, just think about just some of your relationships. If you were married, doesn't marriage have a way of showing you just how inadequate you are, right? I mean, you, you really like to be a good spouse and you really want to function well and you find like, oh man, I'm hardwired for a completely different direction. And I don't think I have what it takes. Or if that's not enough, if you are a parent, if you are a parent, you have come face to face with your limitations, right? You want to be a great parent, all right? You want to do it well and you want wisdom and you'd, and you find out that, wow, this is so challenging. And I can't believe we're going to have this conversation now. And it, it just takes it out of you because you feel like, man, I don't, I don't really have what I need, need in this situation. If you're a single, uh, how many times do you find yourself thinking like, man, I, this, is, this is difficult. Loneliness is a real issue at times. How do I continue to develop friends like this? And then, of course, if you're a kid and you look at all the pressures that you have and you're trying to figure out who you are and then you're called to honor your parents and you find out that your parents have issues, right? Well, they're not perfect. And that bothers you, you know, and so you've got, yet you're called to honor them and how does that all work? Then if you not only look at relationships, look at some of your responsibilities. Think in terms of like your ministry. What, what has God called you to do? What is your involvement either in this community or in this local church, what, what does that look like? And do you find that this is tough stuff? It's challenging, difficult. Or consider your job. You know, what you do through the week is a major part of your ministry. Your career, your job is a major part of your ministry. You want to think that way. And when you do realize God's not only called me and equipped me, but frankly, this is, this is challenging stuff. And I'm not sure I've got what it takes. You see, we regularly come face-to-face with our inadequacies, don't we? We try to put up a front. Oh, we got it all together, but in actuality, how many of us are like, ah, help, right? And I'll tell you one of the things that happens, and you especially see this in terms of ministry, is that you're aware of opportunities and you're aware of needs, but you don't feel like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I got what it takes or the time or the energy. You know, when I give myself like this, it takes so much out of me. And what happens, a lot of people just sideline themselves. They just, they just go on the sideline like someone else will do this. Or we feel that we're broken or simply too hard. You need to know something. Facing difficulties, being put to situations that show you your inadequacies is actually by divine design. God actually plans that. That we will regularly face the end of ourselves because he's seeking to accomplish his work through us. But if you don't understand how that works, you're in for a world of disappointment, if not dysfunction. Let me ask you this. We got a lot of Bible scholars as I'm looking around here, gathered this morning in the room here. 
What are the two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels? And look at that. I know what you're thinking, though, right? You're thinking, like, the resurrection ought to be there, right? And you're right. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead after he was crucified on the cross, he rose again on the third day. That is recorded in all four Gospels. But does anybody know what the other one is? Oh, I can hear you thinking. That's right. It is the feeding of the 5,000. That particular miracle is found in all four Gospels. And it's for a reason. If you don't learn the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000, you're going to miss out on what the Christian life is all about and how God seeks to do his work through his people. Now, when you come to the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 is a huge pivot point in the Gospel. Before that, chapters 1 through 8, Jesus is doing all the ministry. We're talking like he does miracles, he heals people, people that are lame, people that are blind, people that can't hear. He does the miracles. In fact, he even raised someone from the dead. And all these miracles were all meant to authenticate that indeed he is God's son. This is God walking and working in our midst. It authenticated him as Messiah, and it also authenticated his message when he preaches the kingdom of heaven, that he is the king and what real righteousness is and that we are inadequate, but he gives it, and that life is found building your life and trusting in him. Well, he's doing this in all for eight chapters. He's got his group, his disciples, and they're following him, and they're like, this is awesome. We're hanging with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching all these people. Jesus is doing these miracles, and we're with him. In fact, he called us to follow him. How cool is that? But in Luke chapter 9, he flips the tables on them, and he guess what? He says, guys, guess what? You now are going to go out. I'm going to start doing my work through you. And that's what you find in Luke chapter 9. He sends them out to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, and he even gives them the power to heal. Why does God would give a miraculous gift like that? to authenticate to the people that the message of the kingdom that these men are preaching is from God. That was always the purpose of the miraculous gifts. And so they do. So much of a stir that when you kind of, Luke chapter 9, verse 9, Herod the Tetrarch, the guy who's ruling Galilee, the northern part of, the Israel, of, of Israel, he's like, I got to find out who this is. In fact, you see it in verse 9. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Even Herod said, this is creating quite a stir. And I want to see this Jesus. Well, when you come to verses 10 and 11, you're going to find that they had just finished this first time where Jesus himself had done his work through his people. And he wanted to take them on a retreat. And so in verse 10, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. So he's going to take his men to help them process what is taking place. Because Jesus fully intended that it is through his people that he's going to actually accomplish his ministry. And this is such a significant event that he's taking them away on a private retreat. But as it would be, verse 11, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. Did you see Jesus? He's welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And that brings us then to beginning in verse 12 of this most significant event that's recorded in all four Gospels. These guys who had been on this mission, kind of like this crusade where they're proclaiming the Gospel 
of the kingdom and actually doing miraculous works, they're probably pretty wiped out from their little journey. Jesus is taking them on a retreat. And you find that all these people, and we're going to find out that it's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. When you do that, the math on that, we're looking anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people have now gathered and they are listening to Jesus. And it, as it would be, verse 12, now the day was ending and the 12 had come and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Now, this is a really interesting development here. Bethsaida, and they're outside of it, pretty desolate. This is actually the home of Philip, Andrew, Simon, Peter. They know this, well, this area well. They know its resources, and they even describe it as a desolate place. And here's something really interesting, and this is a really bad idea. When you start telling Jesus what to do, did you see that in verse 12? This isn't making a suggestion. This is like, Jesus, you need to do this. We don't know whether it was because they actually experienced some success and they saw God doing work through them that all of a sudden like, hey, you know what? Now we're kind of like functioning almost like at a peer level with Jesus now, you know? We're going to kind of banter back and forth and we could tell Jesus what he needs to do. That's always a real bad idea. And so they not only tell him what they do, but they're like, you know, look at People are getting hungry. They're probably thinking, we're getting hungry, right? And that's, you need to know that if whatever you're feeling and thinking is probably what others around you. And so they're like, they didn't say that we're hungry. They're saying, hey, everybody around here is getting hungry. And you need to do something about it. You need to send them away. Because right now we're in this desolate place. There is no Galilee, all-you-can-eat buffet. We don't see Chick-fil-A. There's no Burger King around here. There's no Gaylord Texan or Motel 6. There's no lodging. And you've got thousands and thousands of people here. Jesus, you need to deal with it. You need to send them all away. Well, Jesus is about ready to have them shocked out of their little sandals. Look at verse 13. But he said to them, no, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what in the world are you thinking? <laughs> we can't do that. I can't. If Jesus had asked me to do that, I'm thinking, I can't even cook for my family of six. I mean, how am I going to feed 5,000 men, throw in all the women and children, 10, 20,000 people? No way. Can't do that. And then they said, well, you know what, Jesus, wait, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. So they're like, they actually say, all we've got among us is five loaves and two pieces of fish. Really interesting, uh, John actually records that they, uh, they, didn't, they actually didn't bring this. This isn't their sack lunch. They took this from a little boy, okay? And so this little boy, he's going to hear and listen to Jesus, and his mama is sharp, okay? And so she sends him with a lunch. But no one else brought a lunch. Can you believe it? Like, why would you go somewhere in a desolate place and not bring food with you? There's only one smart person in the entire bunch, and it's a little boy, and he's got two little fish, and he's got these little barley biscuits, kind of like little cakes, and that's all he's got. And I, we don't know how the disciples got them. It is possible they could be rather impetuous. They, they may have just taken it from them. You know what I'm saying? We don't know, but maybe they just took the little boy's lunch, you know what I mean? And hopefully they were nice, but you never know with the disciples, you know, sons of thunder taking over the little boy's lunch. It could have been interesting. And they show it to Jesus and says, this is all we've got. 
How is the world where we do that? It's, we're in a desolate place. And so he says, we have no more than five loaves and two fish in the plat, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these men. How in the world are we going to do that? We'd need to have food for all these people. How is that going to be possible? One of the gospel accounts says that it would take eight months wages of hard labor to pay for a meal for all these people. We simply are inadequate. Now, look at what Jesus says. Verse 14 says that there were 5,000, about 5,000 men. And Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. Now, this is what you're looking at right here. This is the beginning of small group ministry, okay? If you ever wondered, where where did that come from? It gets started with Jesus, and he says, I want you to put them in groups of 50. And notice what they did. They just brought what they had, and they're bringing it to Jesus, and now Jesus is asking them to do something that's impossible. He asked them to feed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. They are brought face-to-face with their complete inadequacy. They could never do this. And that's how Jesus works. You know, sometimes he puts us in situations that we're completely inadequate for. And it's all by divine design. He's trying to teach us something that's so very important. What he's trying to teach these men. And as hard as it is to face our own lack of ability and resources, what it does do is to build out, build dependency and humility. So he gives them this order. He says, I want you to have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. And verse 15, they did so and had them all sit down. Now, this is pretty fascinating. Can you imagine what this is like? They just told Jesus, you need to send them away. Jesus says, no, you need to feed them. And I'm like, ha, 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 wait a second. We just, we have this little bit of lunch. And then Jesus says, I want you to have them sit down in groups of 50, and I want you to do it. So they're like, okay, we need all of you to kind of get into groups of 50. Can you imagine the people are like used to listening to Jesus, and now here are these bumbling disciple apostle kind of guys, and they're like trying to put them in groups of 50. Can you imagine all the strange looks? I mean, these people are hungry, right? And what happens, especially with males, when they are hungry? They're not cooperative, right? They've got attitude issues. They're just not happy campers, right? Males just don't do well without food, and they've gone all day. They're real hungry, and now you got the disciples. Not Jesus, but the disciples telling everybody to get in groups of 50. Can you imagine the strange looks or the questions like, what in the world are you guys doing? And like, ah, just, just get in groups of 50. Hey, did you boys bring some food for us? Uh, no, not, not, not sure about that. Well, did you see Jesus? Did Jesus have any food? Well, Come to think of it, I I don't think that he did, but please just kind of get in these groups here. And so they're doing this. And this is really interesting. You see, Jesus asked them to do something without explaining why. And that's often how the Lord works. He wants us to learn to obey him. Do you know what faith is? Faith is taking God at his word. It is to obey even if you don't fully understand. For those of you who are parents, with your children, what do you want to teach them to do? In their early years, you want to teach them to obey you, right? So like a little phrase that we would use at our house, like all the time. 
When do we obey? Right away. When do we obey? Right away. We're after first-time obedience. We never wanted to have the scenario like, when do we obey? Like before the parent goes ballistic, you know, at time 20 or something like that. No, you train the kids when they obey. They know. And our Father, Heavenly Father, He's trying to train us. When do we obey? Right away. Now, as the kids get older, you want to explain why. But their obedience to you is not determined whether or not it seems reasonable to them, right? They need to learn to obey you. For instance, do not play in the street. Why? Well, no, you, first of all, you just don't play in the street. You will eventually be able to explain these things to them, but what you're after with your children is obedience early on. So it is with the Father. And so Jesus is training them. I want you to do something. And they didn't understand. They didn't understand why in the world they would have to do this, but yet they are doing what Jesus is asking. And so they did. And then, look at verse 16. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. Now, just a second here. If you're imagining like, well, that boy had like a giant tuna strapped to his back and he was kind of making his way that way and he had his huge fish and there's going to be enough for everybody. That's not it. These were two little fish. This was the meal of a common person. They had little biscuits. And they gave them to Jesus. And notice in verse 16 here, he took the five loaves, this meager amount, and these two little fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them has the idea of giving thanks to the Father for what we have. And he broke them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He thanks God. He has just these little pieces of bread and fish, and he starts breaking them, and he starts giving them to the disciples who are in return going out to then give them to these groups of 50 people. And there's, you got the whole countryside filled with all these people. And so they, they have, and just miraculously, creative power. God is literally working this miracle where within the hands of Jesus comes bread, more bread, more bread, more fish, and he keeps handing it off to the disciples, and they are watching this, and it is just absolutely fascinating to them as they're seeing that, that from what little they have given Jesus, he continues to multiply and to accomplish his work. And this is such a critical lesson. You and I, what we're called to do, we're woefully inadequate, right? Jesus seems to draw much attention to our inadequacies and how little we have. You remember later on in Luke 21 when they're at the temple and uh, everybody's kind of putting in their offering? You know, and some of these guys probably liquidated all of their stuff into coins that were really loud when they hit the coffers, you know, making all this noise. But then there was this, there was this widow, and she was like ultra poor, and she has this, she has two coins, and she puts it in, and you got to imagine people are like, oh, that is nothing. That won't even buy a match to light a candle in the temple. That is nothing. Remember Jesus said, you know, I, I want you to pay very close attention to this lady. Do you know why? Because everybody else is given out of their surplus. Yeah, we can afford to do, live without this. But she gave all that she had to live on. That's what Jesus is after. You just bring what little you have 
and let's see what he's going to do. So he blesses and he gives, keeps giving. In fact, it's in the imperfect tense. He keeps giving over and over and over again. It draws your mind back to different events that take place in the Bible. Remember like when, when the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were making their way to the promised land and they were on a 40-year journey because God had to teach them some pretty critical lessons? Do you remember? He fed them from, with manna from heaven. When's the last time you like rained bread at your house? Ever happen? If it does, I want you to call me because I'd like to see it. It's a miracle, isn't it? Or remember Elisha? Remember that widow in Zarephath and, and she has hardly anything, just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil? And yet Elijah says, you will always have flour and oil until it rains. And even though there's this great famine, it's always provided and they always have bread and oil to dip that bread in. Or remember uh, Elisha, when they, he multiplied these, they had only 20 loaves to feed 100 soldiers and 100 guys, and, they, and it multiplied. That is how God can work. And what Jesus is teaching his men is like, I do the miracle, but I will give you what you need. You don't do the miracle. You can't make loaves multiply, can you? No, you can't. But I can. You keep coming back to me, and I'll give you what you need to do as I've asked. It's this most important lesson that we have to learn, that God is able to give all that I need to accomplish all that he has asked. And so just imagine, so the disciples are like, whoa, I got this bread and fish. And so they go to the group of 50. This has got to be pretty cool. Hey, guess what? I got food for you. They start passing it out. But what happens when you pass out all the loaves and all the fish? Hey, there's more hungry faces staring out. Hey, Why did you give it to him? I'm more hungry. What do you do when your hands are empty? When you don't have any more bread or more fish? You go back to Jesus. He's got what you need. And they're learning this critical lesson. When you're out, when your hands are empty, your heart is empty, you go back to him who can replenish you. You're going to find this. If you are giving frequently, you're going to find that you're going to be empty regularly. Don't be thrown off. That's how it works. You give of your heart. You engage lives. You give it all that you have with your family, in your ministry at work, your career, in a ministry of working with kids or running your small group. And it's tough stuff. And you're dealing with difficulties and broken lives. Don't be shocked that you find yourself completely empty and depleted. I find that that happens on a pretty regular basis. I literally, I have nothing left at the end of the day. That's how it works. So what do you do? You go back to Jesus. You see, he has all that you need to accomplish all that he's asked. That's the Christian ministry, friends. This is Christian life. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Please learn this lesson. I'll record it in all four Gospels so you won't miss it. When you do your work, you keep coming back to me. I do the miracle, and I will do my work through you. That's what he is teaching them here. And God will provide at the right time, whenever you might need. Pastor Chuck Swindoll writes of a very moving event that took place in his life. When he went to Japan, and while there he was visiting a missionary friend of his, he goes to this couple's house, and she goes, it's bad. I, 
I think he is ready to just basically write it off. We're, we're probably done here. He is so discouraged. This is so hard. I remember when I was in Japan uh, teaching at the Gano Bible Conference, and they told me that Japan is the missionary graveyard. And I, I saw people that had been missionaries that are just kind of washed up, and they were actually, some of these were at the conference and all these other people. And he was she's talking to this, his friend's wife, and she's like, I think he's done. He's, he's at the office. I don't even know what he's doing. So he goes down to his office of his friend, and he, he looks in the window, and he was shocked. Far from packing up boxes and kicking the desk, this guy is, he's got his book, Bible open to the Psalms, and he's, He's speaking the psalms and he's actually singing hymns to God. He says that this was so very instructive of the Christian ministry. You see, when you come to the place where you don't got it, you don't have the emotional resources, the financial resources, the heart, the strength, you need to learn to go back to him who does the miracle. You see, God is able to give all that we need to accomplish all that he's asked. And so what about you? What has the Lord asked you to do? What is it? Think of it. Has he asked you to love your neighbor as yourself? How are you going to do that when your neighbor is obnoxious and rude? Anybody got a neighbor like that? I remember one of my neighbors that was like that. Ultra trying. Ultra trying. How do you do that when you don't have the resources? You get to learn to come back to him. How about not returning evil for evil? Someone done evil to you? Are you ready to retaliate? Or do you need strength, wisdom, and a heart from him? Do you, uh, how are you doing with the be devoted to one another and brotherly love? How's that going for you? Especially with some hard to love people. Well, I've learned to ignore them. Is that really what the Lord wants you to do? It sounds like you're at the end of yourself. Let's learn to come back to him. You know, Jesus uh, was pretty explicit uh, as to what we're supposed to be doing. Do you guys happen to remember what we're supposed to be doing? No? Okay, let me just refresh you. We are to go and to make disciples of all the nations. We are to proclaim the gospel, and we are to help people come to the fullness of maturity in Christ. Whoa, I'm not adequate for that. Of course you're not. That's why he's saying, I want you to learn how we do work. I do the miracle but you engage and you keep coming back to me. It is a reason why a lot of churches just end up to be kind of fancy Christian country clubs because that is hard work. It requires you to keep going back to Jesus time and time again because oftentimes it's difficult work. How are you doing as a, as a husband if you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Feeling like you could stand up and say, I've arrived. <laughs> right? No, you haven't. And what do you need? You need strength from him. Or wives, how are you doing with respecting your husband, even aligning yourself under his leadership when he is so utterly unrespectful, right? I mean, he's just, he's got so many issues. That's right, he does, doesn't he? But yet, how are you going to do that apart from learning the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000? Um, are you kind of at the end of your rope on parenting? Uh, you're going to face some huge challenges, and there are going to be difficult times and hard conversations. I know from firsthand experience. How do you go through that? What do you do when it's pretty much taking it all out of you? Well, you have to learn the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000, don't you? 
you have to learn to keep coming back to him. How are you doing as a child just honoring your parents? How's that working for you? Especially at times when you feel like they're not very honorable, right? Well, you need to keep coming back to the Lord, and he'll give you what you need, especially the strength. He'll even give you wisdom. How about forgiveness? How about the person that's really hurt you? Ha, <laughs> that's where I draw the line. And that's actually where Jesus says, I want you to come to me. And let's see what kind of miracle I can work. I'll give you what you need. Are you facing some temptation issues? Or worse, giving in to them? Sexual lust? You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that, that no temptation has overcome you except what is common to man. And with every temptation that God will give you a way of escape. He'll give it to you, but you have to come to him. Did you know that? That's the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000. If you are always getting beat on this one, let me ask you, are you going to Jesus with regularity? How about the whole area of just financially giving to the Lord's work? I can't do that because if I do that, I will have less money. And I have a lot of things that I want to do with my money. Let's see what would happen if you gave to him what he could accomplish through you. You see, all of us show up with great inadequacies, and that's by divine design, because God is showing us what he can accomplish when we learn to go to him. That's the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000. You see, God is able to give all that I need to accomplish all that he's asked. Well, here's something really interesting. So they do. The disciples, they, they're feeding all these people, and they keep going back to Jesus, and this is, this is so cool. Can you imagine what's going through their brain? And then look at verse 17. And they all ate, even the hungry disciples. That's where they all probably got started with in the first place. And they were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up. Twelve baskets full. This is awesome. Did you know that it is biblical to have leftovers? It's right there. And it is also biblical to save them, okay? So for you, you know, like, yes, this is really good. And so you just kind of keep putting that stuff in your fridge and you, and you save it. Where did that all come from? Well, again, it all has its origins in Jesus. He was into leftovers, right? And did you see that? They started with two little fish and five little loaves, right? Now what do they got? They're picking up all the leftovers and they have how many baskets full? Anybody remember? Twelve. How many disciples do we have? 12. You see that? Jesus had a basket for each one of his guys. And so they, they know what happened. They started off with two fish and five loaves, and now they're carrying a basket of food as they move on. Do you know why? Because Jesus always wanted them to remember the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000. You're inadequate, but I am all sufficient. You learn to come to me. It's interesting. Uh, Matthew 14 is where you find the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels, Matthew. Do you know how long it took for them to forget this lesson? One chapter. Chapter 15, they were in a situation, there was about 4,000 men, not counting women and children, and guess what? They were freaking out, and they're like, what are we going to do? Like, how did you forget that? And of course, Jesus provides another miracle, and it happens the exact same way You see, those guys are a lot like us, aren't they? We forget quickly. 
And yet Jesus never wants us to do that. He wants us to remember he is able. Do you remember that song? I remember after I became a Christian in college. And it's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Do you remember that song? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to him in prayer. You're at the end of yourself? Jesus says, just come on back to me. Come back to me. I will do my work through you. And friends, this is the gospel. Jesus, who not only can meet physical needs, which he is showing very clearly in this text, he can meet your deepest spiritual needs, which he authenticated with these miracles. That's why he came. He comes to a cross. He dies and pays the penalty for our sin. He rises again and he gives you life, spiritual food. He is the Savior and he's the Lord. And wherever you're at, emotionally, financially, physically, spiritually, relationally, whenever you face your great need, you coming back to him for our great provisions. You see, God is able to provide and give all that we need to accomplish all that he's asked. And this morning, uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, We have a, a lady in our church who is experiencing what God can do when you offer just a little And I want to invite Camille Beckham to come up here and and join us. I think many of you know Camille, but I'd like you to hear a little bit about her story and her ministry. So, Camille, so good to see you this morning. Thank you. Well, if you want to just share with us what's going on here. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Um, It's so true. I think God is really good to call us into ministries or challenging situations where we realize it's impossible to do it ourselves. Because that reminds us not to believe the lie that we are supposed to do it ourselves or that we can do it independently. And that's certainly what happened in my life. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about how God called me into a task that's way, way bigger than me. I grew up loving languages and cultures and really having a heart for missions and for God's heart for the world. And that was in large part thanks to my parents who are actually visiting this morning. So mom and dad wave. (laughs) They're over there. Um, they brought me up with a real heart for God's love for the world. And the summer after I graduated from high school, I went on a summer mission trip to Haiti a couple weeks. And this whole thing, the call, started out with a handshake. I was with our little group of Americans. We were meeting all these little Haitian kids and shaking their hands and uh, asking them what their name was. And I got around to one little boy And I shook his hand, and I said in Creole, what's your name? And he just, he just shook my hand and didn't answer. Well, I was a little confused, but just then another little boy came up next to him and pushed him aside and said, oh, don't pay any attention to him. That's just George. He can't think, he can't talk, he can't hear, but I'm Pierre. Well, so there I was suddenly shaking Pierre's hand. Now, I didn't know anything about deafness. I didn't know if sign language was universal or if it was different in different countries. I do know now it's different in different countries. Every country has its own sign language. I didn't know anything, though, but I knew that God loved George as much as he loved Pierre. So I went back to George, got on eye level with him, made eye contact, just tried to kind of make a connection, and the Lord just gave me a special relationship for those two weeks with George. So every day he would come to the site where our team was working and he and I would communicate somehow. We gestured, we used our facial expressions, we acted things out, 
We just, we really enjoyed each other. And God really began to put the deaf world on my heart through George. After that, I got back to the U.S. I started college in the fall, and one of my friends in my dorm was taking American Sign Language, ASL. Well, she was really excited about this class, and so she would come back and tell me about it all the time. And she came back and told me several interesting things. One was that American Sign Language is a completely different language from English. It doesn't follow the grammar or the structure of English. It's as different as Russian or Chinese. She also told me that deaf people, even right here in the U.S., have their own culture with their own values, their own ways of interacting, and even their own art. And then she told me that the teacher was taught by a deaf person, so the students were learning sign language from a native signer. And all of that, particularly with my love for languages and cultures, completely intrigued me. So that, combined with my heart for George, I was in. So I started taking sign language, got to be friends with the teacher, the deaf teacher, and she started bringing me to deaf community events where I met a number of deaf people in the community. One time I was talking with some of the deaf leaders in the community, and I asked them if they had had any experience with church or God or something. I wanted to know about their spiritual life. And this one guy said, well, there's this church down the street here that has a sign language interpreter, but what does that mean? God needs an interpreter to communicate with me? Well, I had never thought of an interpreted ministry that way before, but it led to the whole thought process of deaf people, just like any other people group, want to encounter God in their own language, in their own culture, and they need God's word in their own language as well, in sign language. So after some years, I began to work with a ministry called Door International, Deaf Opportunity Outreach. And my part in it now is actually training deaf people, as you see in the picture, training some deaf leaders in skills that they need to do Bible translation into various sign languages. So their, their Bible translation is in video format, not in print format, but that's what I'm doing now. Um, I'm going back. I'll be in Kenya all of February and March teaching this same group of guys, deaf leaders, who are helping other deaf people translate the Bible into their languages. I want to show you a video. Uh, this is filmed in Kenya and India. In India, what's going on is there's actually a dedication, a celebration of a portion of scripture that had been translated into one of India's sign languages. So there's some excitement about that. I'm also in the video, and some of the guys that I uh, teach are in the video as well. So I'll close with the video. Thank you for letting me share. Hundreds of people groups around the world are locked away from God's word. Millions of people have never understood the gospel. They aren't isolated by impassable mountains or thick jungle. They live and work among us. They use languages that have never had a translation of the Bible, a different kind of language, sign language. Time and time again, you meet deaf people who, yeah, I went to church because somebody took me there, and people would look at the ceiling a lot and it made them happy, no idea why. And we went outside, and several of them got in the water and got back up, and that seemed to make people happy, and I like making people happy, so I go in and I get underwater and come back up, and everybody's smiling and happy with me, and I even got a new set of clothes out of the deal. No idea what happened. None. For over 10 years, Door International has been empowering deaf believers to bring God's word and Christian fellowship to the deaf of the world. A big question that I get all the time is, these people are deaf, they're not blind. Why don't they just read? 
And a lot of times that comes from a hearing person thinking, well, if I became deaf, certainly I would read everything I could get my hands on, you know, because I would miss out on, on getting information through auditory means. But a hearing person becoming deaf is entirely different from a deaf person who was born deaf or became deaf prelingually, and that's Doors' target audience. The way that you and I learned English is we started hearing it from the day we were born. By the time we got to school, in, when we were, say, five years old, we were already fluent in English. Deaf children, many of them, if they have hearing parents who don't learn sign language, they get to five years old and go to school and they're not fluent in any language. They hardly even have any language at all. When you and I got to school and started learning to read English, it was just a written representation of a language we already knew. Now you think about a three-year-old or a four-year-old and how many questions they ask, how much conversation goes on between parents and their you know, preschool-aged children, and deaf children miss out on all of that information, too. So not only do they not have any ability in the spoken or written language of the country, they don't have that background knowledge just of the world. Even in the U.S., the average reading level of a deaf person is a third or fourth grade reading level. A deaf person shouldn't be forced to read a Bible in a foreign language. They need a Bible in a language they can understand, and that's a natural sign language. All up until now, people have tried to uh, teach me or tell me things that, about the Bible that I just really didn't understand. And it seems like all the churches were just the same. It just, I couldn't understand in any of them. I tried to learn in a church, but it just I couldn't understand it. It was really hard, and it was it was discouraging. And and they would say somebody would say, "Oh, this place is clear." Well, finally now. God's word is really clear. We can learn about how God created the world and so much about God. It just it broke my heart before that we couldn't learn that. And now we can learn it and deaf people can be saved. Deaf people the world over are treated like handicapped people, but they just communicate in a different way. DOOR provides resources and leadership training and through their sign language Bible translation programs are benefiting deaf communities around the world. So now you have these deaf people that are learning these skills, they're running high-quality video equipment, they're using high-quality editing software on you know, cutting-edge computers, and their friends are struggling to find a job selling maize on the street corner. Um, so now the deaf person themselves are saying, look at what I can do. Uh, it elevates them as a person. All the hearing people around see, oh, these deaf people have value. So you've got an entire people group that now have an elevated value because somebody bothered to come and help them learn God's word in their own language. And that's just on a humanitarian level. But now that they have the Bible in a language they can understand, and not just hold in their hands, but it's on their hands, they know how to sign it. That's cool. has a vision to see indigenous, Bible-based fellowships of deaf believers in every country of the world who can reach out to their own communities. So what, isn't that powerful to see how God is going to work? Camille, I'm going to invite you to come back up here. I think you may have just heard that Camille is going back to Kenya to train these leaders. And it is, it is 
the epitome of our vision of growing deep in Christ and reaching out. And for many of us, that's reaching out to people in our community. But for people like Camille, that is reaching out to the people of the world. And she's showing up with her five loaves and two fish and watching God do a miracle in the midst. And so we'd like to pray and send you off, okay? Can we do that? Let's all just pray. Lord, we just come before you with Camille. And God, we just marvel at your goodness and grace. We know that there are so many dear people in the world who simply cannot hear. And for almost all of them, they've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They've never heard the word. And what a tremendous opportunity to bring the message and the hope of Christ to them. So Lord, would you encourage and continue to equip and provide for Camille? Would you allow her to once again just experience your hand of grace? We pray for your protection upon her. May she know the goodness of the Lord and may you continue to bear much fruit through her life. And we ask for a widespread turning of these people that are deaf in all different parts of the world to know the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you.